0: See, some Christians tend, when they hear the word compromise, to immediately, immediately think it's wrong. It's a dirty word. Compromise. Compromise isn't always wrong. It's only wrong when there is doctrinal compromise. There is a right kind of compromise that does not affect doctrinal truth. It just accommodates itself to the desires and the preferences of others. Listen, every married couple should understand this.
1: And if they don't understand it, they're in for a brief and miserable marriage, right? Welcome to Verse by Verse. Today, Pastor Steve Kreloff will be concluding his series of messages from Acts chapter 15, which answers the most important question ever asked, what is necessary for salvation? Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. The Jerusalem church leaders determined, with the help of the Holy Spirit, that Gentiles do not need to be circumcised in order to be saved. They sent a letter to the church in Antioch describing this decision and also giving some instructions to the Gentiles that would help their relationships with the Jewish believers and the Jewish unbelievers. Here's Pastor Steve now with some thoughts on when to compromise and when to stand firm.
0: They've told them, you don't need to be circumcised to be saved. But in telling them their decision, they want them to understand this isn't simply their opinion not just a group of men who got together and said, I don't know, what do you think? Okay, let's decide on this. No, their decision is what the Holy Spirit led them to decide. Their decision is based, they say, on what the Holy Spirit has shown them to be the truth. Notice, that's what they said. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. They're not acting independent of the Spirit. So the question is then, how did they know that this was the Spirit's mind? We don't read anything about a prophet standing up during the council meeting and say, I have a word from the Lord. We don't read that. How did they know this? How did the Holy Spirit guide these men so that they understood that it was His will that salvation was by grace and not works? Well, they knew the Spirit's mind because of the three speeches and arguments given by Peter, Paul and Barnabas and then James. As you'll recall, Peter's argument was that God has already revealed that He saves Gentiles by grace. He's already done this when He saved Cornelius, Gentile Cornelius and his family. He's already done this. And it was by grace. And Paul and Barnabas argue that God endorsed their message to the Gentiles of salvation by faith in Christ by granting them authenticating miracles. If they were giving heresy, there wouldn't be authenticating miracles. And James argued that the salvation of Gentiles by faith is reported by Peter that God's already has done this. It's supported by the Old Testament prophets who predicted that the Messiah, the son of David, would make believing Gentiles his people and would do it by faith. So based on what God had already done and supporting biblical evidence, it was obvious what the mind of the spirit was. Folks, it would be what we would call a no brainer. It would be a no brainer. Therefore, The spirit-led decision of the council was that no burden, meaning no burdening requirement for salvation, like circumcision, would be placed upon them. That's their decision. The question raised by the church at Antioch as to how Gentiles are saved, it's now answered. And that answer is there's nothing you need to do to be saved but what you had already originally heard from Paul and Barnabas. And that is... Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust Christ and Him alone for your salvation. That's it. The original message is the message from God. However, it's a big however. While there was no burden being laid upon them for salvation, there were some requirements that the council was now placing upon them. And these requirements were the ones recommended by James, that due to Jewish sensitivities of that Day and age, Gentile believers should abstain from four practices, things sacrificed to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from fornication. Now, the last time we studied Acts 15, we looked at each of these practices. And with the exception of fornication, which is sexual immorality, which is a moral absolute, these other issues, they're practices that the Jewish people of that day either chose not to do, not to engage in, or they were specifically forbidden by the Mosaic Law from doing. As I pointed out earlier, the, the reason that the Jerusalem Council told the Gentiles to abstain from these practices is because it would hurt their testimony for Christ with Jewish people, both unsaved Jewish people who would not be interested in hearing them speak about Christ while they were engaged in behavior that they found disgusting and appalling. And it would be offensive to the Jewish Believers who would be offended by such pagan-like practices. Now, listen closely. All of these things that these Gentiles are being told to abstain from, apart from sexual immorality, they're not intended to be long-term binding New Testament rules to be observed by all Christians for all time. These are not inflexible laws that we are to observe today. But rather, These were practices that so deeply bothered Jewish people in the first century that for the sake of Christ, they were not to be practiced by the Gentile Christians. Not because there was any evil in them, not because they were inherently evil, but simply because to practice them would be to hinder their witness for Christ and their testimony for him. Therefore, these issues fall under the category of what is called today liberty issues, sometimes called gray issues. They're not black, they're not white, they're liberty issues, which are practices that the Bible neither commands or condemns, so that it's left up to us, individual believers, to decide if we're comfortable doing them. And what determines if we are comfortable doing them is if our conscience isn't bothered by such practices. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul was talking about in Romans 14, Verses 22 and 23. He said, The faith which you have... He's not talking about personal faith for salvation, but the faith you have, the clear conscience you have in doing something. The faith which you have, have as your own conviction before God. Happy is he who does not condemn himself in what he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because his eating is not from faith. And whatever is not from faith is sin. Now, what Paul is saying is that if your conscience doesn't condemn you, if you engage in a certain practice or activity, in this case, eating food that had been sacrificed to an idol, then he says, feel free to eat. If your conscience doesn't bother you, if in clear conscience, in faith, you can do it, feel free to eat. But if you have any doubts about this, if your conscience isn't clear about this, if you can't do this activity with a clear conscience, being convinced that it's okay before God, even if it's not forbidden by Scripture, then to do such a thing would be sin for you. You see, here's the thing about liberty issues. Listen closely. Listen closely. What one person would consider sinful behavior because his conscience would be bothered if he engaged in this activity, another person would consider it fine to do. Why? Because his conscience isn't bothered by it. That's the thing on liberty issues. It may be right for one person, wrong for another. R.C. Sproul explained this truth this way. He said, Some people have grown up believing that wearing lipstick or playing cards or going to the movies are among the worst of sins. When I've been asked about this, I've said, if you believe it's sin to wear lipstick, then for you, it is sin to wear it because you're acting against your conscience. That's the principle. That's the principle. I recall an incident years ago about a man who had recently started coming to Lakeside. And he asked me one day if he could come to my house on a Sunday afternoon to use our telephone. This was the era before cell phones and his landline had not yet been installed. So I said, sure. Come over whenever you want. Well, when he arrived at my house and saw that I was watching a football game on television, he said, oh, I can never watch football on Sunday. Now, listen, the Bible doesn't say anything about football. The Bible doesn't say anything about television. The Bible doesn't say anything about activities that are acceptable or unacceptable for a Sunday afternoon. But this man was... Raised in a home that taught him to believe that football on what he considered a holy day was wrong. And so it would have been wrong for him to watch the game because he considered it sinful. And for him, it would have been sinful. But it wasn't sin for me. My attitude towards watching the Buccaneers for losing may have been sinful. But (laughs) the activity of simply watching them was not a sin to me. So that's how liberty issues work. And what the Jerusalem Council is telling the Gentile believers is that because some Jewish people consider these issues to be sinful, you are, for the time being, to abstain from them so as not to hinder the testimony of Christ. Now, what I want you to see from all of this is the principle of just how wise the Jerusalem council was in dealing with these Gentiles and, and their wisdom is seen in the fact that they refused to compromise on the issue of salvation. But they had no problem compromising on these liberty issues. And that, my friends, is an incredible, incredible truth to grasp, of which many people have never grasped that. You see, there will always be problems that arise in a local church. And some of those problems are of a doctrinal nature that involved either the truths of the gospel, such as the deity of Christ, the nature of the atonement, the meaning of faith, repentance, grace. Or it might be some moral issues such as sexuality, marriage. And because these are biblical issues clearly spelled out in Scripture, they must never be compromised. They must never be altered. They must never be adjusted. In fact, these are the issues we fight for. These are the issues we defend against all assaults. These are the issues we are willing to die for. Jude was referring to this when he said in verse 3, Contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all handed down to the saints. The faith that Jude is talking about isn't our personal faith. It's a definite article. The faith, the message, the content of the New Testament, specifically the gospel. This is something we are never to compromise. We fight for this. As I said, we would rather die than compromise these truths. And the Jerusalem Council understood this. And this is why they stood their ground on salvation by faith alone, even though this would inevitably bring about deep opposition from some Jewish people in their own church. But there are other issues that are not biblical absolutes. And it's all right to compromise on these issues. Did you hear me? It's all right to compromise on these issues. Because in doing so, you are not violating any scripture. See, some Christians tend, when they hear the word compromise, to immediately, immediately think it's wrong. It's a dirty word. Compromise. Compromise isn't always wrong. It's only wrong when there is doctrinal compromise. There is a right kind of compromise that does not affect doctrinal truth. It just accommodates itself to the desires and the preferences of others. Listen, every married couple should understand this. Every married couple knows that there has to be concessions and compromises in a marriage if that marriage is to survive. Every friendship, every relationship has to have some compromise or it just won't last because no one can handle a relationship with someone who always insists on getting their own way. And so compromises have to happen and it's good for them to happen. And folks, it's good for them to happen in the local church. Compromises in the church that are not doctrinal in nature, those are good too. Why? Because this is the way that we esteem others more important than ourselves. This is the way that we demonstrate our love for others by putting their preferences ahead of our preferences, and that's exactly what these liberty issues are preferences. That's what the Jerusalem Council did. They knew that they could not compromise on the truth of the gospel, but they were fine in compromising by instructing the Gentiles to abstain from these other liberty issues. Let me tell you, this is not a minor issue. There have been many churches and many individual Christians who have been destroyed because the people didn't, in the church, didn't know the difference between doctrinal compromise and non-doctrinal compromise. And so they treated all issues as if they were a denial of the faith, issues of just personal preference, like how we dress, musical preferences, Forms of entertainment, personal taste, the standard of living we choose to, to live by for ourselves. And when we treat these kinds of issues as if they were biblical absolutes, then we are guilty of Christian legalism. The setting up of our own personal preferences as if they were legal standards for all believers to live by. That's a deadly thing. It's a deadly thing that has turned many people off to Christianity. Do you realize that? Especially young people. Because they have been exposed to a distorted form of Christianity that is simply a bunch of man-invented rules to live by. And usually hypocrisy goes along with it. Just a series of do's and don'ts. That's the kind of Christianity that's been presented to them. It has nothing to do with Christ. It has nothing to do with His grace. It has nothing to do with true inner godliness and holiness. One man I read about, said this concerning his own struggles with legalism. He said, he remarked that he grew up in a legalistic home where the use of fingernail polish was enough to condemn one to hell. He said, I repudiated legalism intellectually and theologically, but nearly 40 years later, I'm still wrestling with it emotionally. And there are many people just like that. Thank God, the Jerusalem Council knew the difference between doctrinal compromise, which is always wrong, And practical compromise on non-doctrinal issues, which is for the good of the church. And may God give us the wisdom to know the difference and to follow their example. There's still one final principle used by the council to bring about reconciliation within the church when conflicts arise. And that is they made sure that there was no misunderstanding of the truth. Verses 30 and 32. So when they were sent away, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. When they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. Judas and Silas, also being prophets themselves, encouraged and strengthened the brethren with a lengthy message. Now, having decided that Judas, Barsabbas, and and Silas would travel with Paul and Barnabas back to Antioch, along with the letter written by the council, these verses tell us what happened when they arrived in the city of Antioch at the church. They gathered the congregation together and they read to them the letter from the council, which obviously caused them, as we read here, to rejoice because it affirmed that they were already saved. They didn't need anything else to be saved. The anxiety was lifted off of them. They could now enjoy their salvation instead of worrying about if they were saved. And then we read that Judas and Silas, who were prophets, gave the congregation, and I love this, a lengthy message which encourage them and strengthen them. Now, I think it's easy to overlook this lengthy message given by these two men, but it is important and it helps us to understand the wisdom of the Jerusalem Council and their endeavor to be conciliatory and to help these Gentile believers. See, it would appear that the reason that Judas and Silas spoke to the congregation was to clarify the content of the letter. And to make sure that they understood exactly what it said and what it didn't say. In other words, want to make sure everybody's on the same page. No doubt that they explained and and affirmed and clarified that salvation was solely by God's grace. They may have rehearsed those arguments given by the men during the council. And no doubt they would have helped them to understand why they needed to abstain from these four practices and, and just gone into a little more detail about this. The importance of not offending Jewish people for the sake of the gospel. And the principle that we draw from this is that when there is a church conflict and problems arise in the church, it is critical that in resolving the problem, there be good communication so that nobody misunderstands the decision made by the church's leadership. You don't take that for granted. See, if people are confused and don't understand what has been decided, then it only leaves room for more conflicts to arise. So very wisely, the council decided to make sure that the congregation at Antioch understood exactly the decision that had been made. And then in the closing verses of this section, Luke tells us how this episode ends. Verses 33 through 35. After they had spent time there, they were sent away from the brethren in peace to those who had sent them out. But it seemed good to Silas to remain there. But Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, teaching and preaching with many others also the word of the Lord. After spending some time with this congregation, Judas and Silas now head back to Jerusalem, back to their home church. And though Verse 34 states that Judas remained here. You might see that in your Bibles, it's in brackets. And it might sound like a contradiction to you. It just said they went back. Why is it telling us Silas remained here? But I want you to understand, it's not a contradiction. In fact, this verse is not found in the best New Testament manuscripts. Most scholars believe, that's why it's in brackets, by the way. Most scholars believe it was added later by a scribe in an attempt to explain why Silas is with Paul in Antioch. When verse 40 comes around and he's available to join him on his second missionary journey, apparently what happened was Silas went back to Jerusalem with Judas and then later returned to Antioch. But what Luke is telling us here is that while Judas and Silas did return to Jerusalem, Paul and Barnabas stayed on. They stayed on in Antioch, teaching the people just as they had done before these false teachers had come and disrupted their ministry. And with this we come, finally, to the end of these verses dealing, this episode in the early church dealing with the Jerusalem Council. I just can't stress to you enough how important this council was. Because it it met the greatest threat the church has ever, ever, ever faced. The threat of distorting the gospel. The gospel of grace. And it met this threat with truth, with courage, with wisdom that brought great healing to the troubled Gentile believers. And in doing this, they establish for all time the truth that salvation is by grace through faith alone in Jesus Christ, nothing else. And they have modeled for us their wisdom and how to resolve a problem in a church. Treat each other as family. Understand the difference between issues that cannot, must not be compromised and issues that it's all right to compromise. And make sure there's no misunderstanding of the truth. It's important that no one misunderstands the truth of the gospel. You would be lost if you misunderstood the truth of the gospel. There is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation. When Jesus said it's finished, that's exactly what he meant. Not simply that it's over, but the debt is paid. I've done it all. There's nothing you can do to add to Christ's death. His death on the cross for the sins of sinners. It's sufficient. It's over. He invites you by his marvelous mercy to come to him and simply trust him for your eternal destiny, for the forgiveness of sins. Trust that his death was the sufficient payment for all of your sins. And that's all. That's it. So come to him. Trust him to save you by his grace. If you want to speak today to one of our pastors about coming to faith in Christ, what does that, what does that mean? You need more clarification. Some of our men will be up here at the close of the service. But these other truths, folks, you who know Christ, you who are part of this church, take these things to heart and apply them when a conflict arises. Father, indeed, we thank you for the wisdom of these godly men. May we follow their example, Lord. May you bring these truths to our minds when we have conflicts with others, Lord, that we would... Treat them and recognize that they are brethren, that how we treat them is how we treat you. Help us to be careful about being sharp with our tongues to others, about being nasty, about having poor attitudes, about all those things. And help us, Lord, to know the difference between a doctrinal issue that we cannot compromise and a non-doctrinal issue that we can very easily compromise and bring peace. Help us, Lord. Protect us, Lord, from legalism. Those who were raised in legalism, bring them out of it. Help them to see the glorious freedom in Christ. And Lord, help us to make sure that there's no misunderstanding of issues here at Lakeside. Help us to communicate well to one another, especially as leaders, to communicate with the congregation. Make sure that they understand decisions that have been made and why decisions have been made so that, Lord, like this Jerusalem Council, we might promote unity and love within the body. And we pray, Lord, for those who don't know you. May you open their eyes that they might see the glorious truths of the gospel and come to faith in Christ. We pray this in your name, Lord. Amen.
1: Amen. Unity and love among Christ followers are two of the things Jesus prayed for in his high priestly prayer in John 17. And he not only prayed for those disciples, he prayed for you and me, too. Thanks for tuning in. You've been listening to Verse by Verse, a radio Bible class taught by Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. You can find out more about Lakeside at lakesidechapel.com. Lakeside offers free sermon audio CDs, so if you'd like to have one, call Lakeside at 727-441-1714. That's 727 441 1714 Ask for message 65 The Jerusalem Council part 5 Today's broadcast is the last one from this series from Acts 15 about what is necessary for salvation All the broadcasts in this series are available for free streaming or download from the message archive at versebyverseradio.org There's also a giving page if you feel led to help support this ministry Your gifts and prayers are essential to keeping us on the air so thank you for your generosity This is Jerry Peterson. We may have reached the end of this series from Acts 15, but we are far from the end of things we can learn from the Bible. Next time on Verse by Verse, Pastor Steve will begin another series of lessons about another topic as we explore God's Word verse by verse.